Today's interview with CJ, your buddy, yep. the head rodeo coach for Sol Ross University. Yeah. CJ Aragon, as you said, he's the, currently the head rodeo coach for Sol Ross University, um, but he's just uh, a really esteemed or experienced coach. Really and, esteemed coach. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, there's coaches and, you know, you got to be pretty good to get you know, a coaching job in college, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's, you know, a higher level than the, you know, 4-H group. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, he's a legit coach, but, like, he's not just a coach. Yeah. He's an elite coach. Exactly. Right? And, uh, I've done a lot of my coaching myself, as you have, and I was learning stuff just listening to him. I was thinking, man, i got to get my notepad out. And, uh, obviously, he won. He was the 2010 national coach of the year which is obviously a huge accolade the 2016 southwest region coach of the year and uh he's got a number of other coaching accolades so those things don't come lightly and it's and and his prca gold card so mm -hmm. he's not just a coach but yeah, he's been a participant exactly you know? and uh which we talk about that that, that that there's a there's a big mark and at least you know knowing that end of the job too before you become a coach yeah and i think that's what makes him such a good coach is he competed at a high level for a long time yeah. so he he learned how how important consistency is how important intensity of training is and, and specific goals in training and he puts all that onto his team and and knows both ends yeah yeah, yeah. so 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 the, he was down here in San Antonio doing a rodeo camp for the PRCA. Yes. So that, we didn't even get to talk about that. Yeah. That's really impressive too that he came down and, and did that. Um, and what that means. Because yeah. that's not just like a, he's, he wasn't going and recruiting for college, right? He was out going and in, in rural America. Mm -hmm. Right. So everybody thinks, you know, the PRCA guys are, you know, all off the ranch somewhere and whatever, which, mm -hmm. you know, there's a good portion of those fellows that do that. Right. But are come from that. But um, he's investing in the future, you know, of our of the sport of rodeo. And, as, and we've been covered a, a couple of rodeo events. Right. Mm -hmm. Beyond just, you know, not all, you know, we are going to branch out into other horse events, too. But yeah. um, there's a reason why. We kind of started in this a little bit, yeah. and and we're seeing somebody who's investing in not only, not only kids but rodeo and and working on not a, just a fan base but a participant base at a beginning level. Yeah, exactly. and pulling it from rural America. Yeah, well, I mean from I, urban America. Urban America. Yeah, yeah I think he uh, and that just shows the his passion in seeing the sport continue and and grow the audience by doing things like that in urban cities well and beyond that too mm -hmm. is the the sport of rodeo encompasses a lifestyle more than any other you know really than most any other um sporting event yeah exactly and and because of that there's they catch some flack from from people who don't understand ranching livestock raising livestock where their food source is mm. all of those other things in in urban america and he introduces it to them mm -hmm. and that's what's going to grow the sport of rodeo and continue to to do that yeah and to see that coming from a college a college coach 
you know, is pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. It so, takes the time to do that recruiting on that end. Yeah. For the upper end of PRCA. Exactly. Yeah. And so, man, it just shows what a special guy he is. And, and the, what I really loved in the, in the chat, as everyone's about to hear, is just his depth of knowledge of mental preparation, mental toughness. Like, yeah. that's just any athlete, any athlete in any sport can get a lot out of listening to this podcast. And uh, You know, there was another part that really got me, right? Mm-hmm. The, I love the mental aspect of, of competition and stuff. But to see a, a coach at that level investing into his students and his kids, not just in the sport, but into their, their uh, academics yeah. and to their personal lives. Like, he comes out here to do this and he's got... A, a crew of his rodeo contestant or rodeo team that's dragging along with him and they were like his kids yeah i mean like he was he you could tell i mean you could see ones that coach as a profession and some that coach as a lifestyle mm-hmm. and it was definitely a lifestyle for yeah. that guy yeah and his kids they showed it showed in his kids too mm-hmm. yeah so and he invested uh, that, so this is a, a pretty impressive coach this is somebody that was all all in yeah exactly so uh man yeah i can't say enough good things about cj yeah uh, i'm i'm excited for you guys to hear it and, yeah and you get to see a coach from all aspects and not like a college football coach who just has one aspect of the job and has guys doing recruiting i mean this guy during a pandemic built his rodeo arena yeah. you know at the college and then you know invests in the kids and does the recruiting, the advertising, the yeah. full meal deal. So Impressive. Yeah. yeah, he's an impressive guy, a special guy. So enjoy listening to today's podcast with CJ Aragon. Yeah, it's good. Here we go. Here we go. Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. The meeting place of industry leaders, elite athletes, and game-changing individuals from around the world. Here we explore the grit, guts, and mental fortitude required to succeed in business, competition, and life that you've been looking for. So stop looking and start listening. It's Go Time with Brendan O'Reilly and Todd Martin. Wrong. Cool. All right. So uh, we're here with CJ Aragon and uh, just got done with a youth rodeo camp this week. You you were uh, a big part of that, you and your team that we've got here. So it was, it's great to have you. But uh, we, we usually start with hearing the, the story of our guests and, and what, you know, got them to where they are. So I know you as a, as a great rodeo coach and mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you wear, I'm sure you wear many other hats. So tell us sort of like, where, how did you even get started in the rodeo world? And what brought you on this path? I got started in the rodeo world. My parents uh, both rodeoed. My mom ran barrels. My dad roped steers. He bulldogged a little bit. So started kind of an early age. Probably in high school, I took the more traditional route. I, I played football. I played basketball. Um, my senior year in high school, probably realized I wasn't going to get uh, very many opportunities to play much farther than that. Mm-hmm. So I really started concentrating on rodeo, ended up winning a state championship in the team roping in Idaho in 1993, got a college rodeo scholarship. Uh, probably one of the, the most fortunate things that happened to me is I got to move in with Daryl and Joyce Sewell mm-hmm. up in Idaho. 
uh, when I went to college. And Daryl went to the NFR in 1974 and 1975 in the steer wrestling, but he went 16 other times hazing for people. Okay. And so when I moved in with Daryl and Joyce, I was primarily a team roper that steer wrestled, and I lived there for two years, and when I left there, I was a steer wrestler that also team roped. Yep. And, uh, you know, Daryl and them, they did a, a great job. I mean, I learned more about horsemanship. We we had uh, three horses we started there at Daryl's house in those two years that ended up going to the NFR and the steer wrestling. And uh, learned a lot about horses, learned a lot about the rodeo business, learned a lot about the work side of it and, mm. and everything else. And uh, while I was working there, Daryl's, he also put on USTRC ropings. And uh, I used to go and help him at all those ropings. And I met Denny Gentry through that. And uh, they used to have me write stories on all the ropings that I'd go to over the course of the summer with, with Daryl and stuff. And he'd tell, write a story for the rope and I'll get it in Super Looper magazine. Well, then we had a conversation one day and he said, hey, when uh, if you get a journalism degree, he said, uh, as soon as you're done with college, I've got a job for you. He said, you can come to work for me here, USTRC, writing stories about, about ropings and team roping and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I was a journalism major, uh, finished, finished at New Mexico State, uh, transferred to New Mexico State because it was a lot warmer down there than, than Idaho, <laughs> and uh, graduated with a journalism degree. And... Uh, couple weeks after the college finals my senior year i had an office in albuquerque working for usdrc and worked there for nine years uh, for super looper magazine uh and then the whole time on the side i was still going to pro rodeos so i was still competing but i was doing private steer wrestling lessons at my house okay. and i had nine consecutive state champions in new mexico in high school rodeo uh steer wrestling and I had a junior college over there. They needed a rodeo coach. Their their program was was really really bad, and they were pretty desperate. So they they hired me as a rodeo coach over there. When I took over, they were the second to last in the nation in college rodeo. Uh, the team was, and uh, my first practice we ran. It's probably a, a bad story to tell. <laughs> my very first practice we had practice. We sent three kids to the emergency room, and my <laughs> wife hadn't moved over yet. And I called her and said. I can't run any more practices. And she's like, well, why not? And I was like, I won't have a team by the first rodeo. I had a bareback rider. The very first horse we go to buck out, kid splits his head open on the rig and has to get like 10 stitches. So we take him to the emergency room. We come back. We decide we're going to bulldog because bulldog is going to be a lot safer. We knock a kid out. So we're like, okay. We go, we team rope, we calf rope, breakaway rope. Finally get down to the bull riding and we have another kid and he gets slung into the buck and shoots and splits his head open and he has to go get stitches. Oh. So we, we made three trips to the emergency room that night. You got to know the emergency room personnel. <laughs> they, they, the kids start joking, calling it we were having a team meeting because <laughs> the whole team would go to the emergency room to, to check oh, on and see how everybody was doing. So was that like, was that just level because of the level they were at and the level you expected them to be at didn't match up? Oh, it was nowhere. I had one kid on my team that first year that had been to the high school finals. Huh. Uh, like I had a bunch of kids that like if I asked them to saddle a horse, it might not get done correctly. Like right. we had to go back to the total basics like, uh, you know, bits hanging down in their horses' mouths. Uh, they, they just didn't know the very basic stuff about rodeo. Mm-hmm. A lot of those kids... And to their credit, a lot they were eager to learn. Yep. And uh, the first rodeo that year, we scored more points at that first rodeo than we had than the team had the previous year combined. Wow! So I was I was pretty <laughs> pumped. I was there for six years. Uh, we won the men's region team title four times, and we won the women's team title twice. 
I had a team that while I was there, we set the national record for the most points ever scored in a single season in college rodeo history and the most points ever at a college rodeo, at a single college rodeo. So wow. it was it was pretty pretty neat. I had a pretty that, – that group I had that year was pretty special. I had uh, – I think we ended up with like uh, five of the top six in the all-round in the region that year on the men's side. Wow, that's impressive. It was, it was a good group, kids. Yeah. And they're, they're doing really well now, too. And you were there for six years? I was there for six years. Wow. And then I went to Odessa after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So you got your start. Your starting coaching was almost accidental as far as you were just teaching some private bulldogging lessons yeah. and then and then found a bit of a gift for it. You've obviously got a gift for it if you can do these things. And I know you're really humble, but, you know, and I, and I know these guys joke around a lot your students but they uh they love you and think you're a great coach so is what do you think has been a key what have you learned on the way that's been a key to that i think one of the biggest things that we do different than a lot of programs is uh from day one i let them know what the expectations are whether it's the classroom whether it's practice whether it's team meetings whether it's in the community uh they know what the expectations are or we try to let them know as clear as we can what the expectations are and then that goes two ways because then they know what to expect from me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you cross that line, you know what's going to happen. If you uh, if you don't meet those expectations, there's there's obviously going to be consequences. But we try to steer them in a the direction. Um, I've been their age before. I've I've seen a lot of kids uh, do well. I've seen kids go the wrong direction. I've been a coach for fourteen years now. We can kind of steer them in the right direction, but they've got to do a lot of it their own, but we can, we can shorten that learning curve for them by, uh, by guiding them and, and setting those expectations and those boundaries for them. And I think a lot of times they respect those boundaries because they know what they are. They don't have to, they don't have to go out there and, and uh, search for them. And well, I wonder if what coach is going to do now, they, they kind of know. And then the other thing that I think kind of goes hand in hand with that is, uh, it, it allows them to set a lot of goals. They they know what our goal was going into this year that, you know, we want to qualify a team to the college finals that we want to compete for a national championship. Mm-hmm. They know that's the goal. So you either get on board with that or you get left behind. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, we, we can't take a, a lot of baggage with us on that goal. So if, if you're not contributing to the, to the mission, there's probably not going to be a lot of room for you on the boat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Huh. <clears throat> um, so what all are your roles at Soul Ross? Like, <laughs> as far as I know, like coach, right? But um, I don't, for, I think for a lot of people, they don't really know how uh, all consuming the job of coach is, like the roles that, you know, you end up taking. Because it's not just a you know guy standing on the sideline, that there's there's a lot more to it um, to get involved into people's lives. You know, I recruit, uh, we fundraise, we schedule the practices, we take care of the livestock. Uh, since I've been there, we've put up over four thousand foot of four rail pipe fence, and we've got basically all the pipe donated. We've got most all the materials donated, like welding rod, cement. Uh, even the labor donated for the most part and what we didn't get donated, you know, people in this room and, and a couple of volunteers have done. Um, we've got a ranch out there that we run our livestock on in the summer. We have to go take care of that. We've, we've built nine miles of fence out there. Um, 
Sometimes I'm a babysitter. Sometimes I'm a confidant. Sometimes I have to be a disciplinarian. Sometimes uh, I have to be the guy that helps pick them up after, you know, they got, you know, had a, had a bad day. I mean, yeah. and I might do all that in the same day, you know, because we've got 42 kids on the team this year and everybody's got a different story. 42 kids. 42 kids. When I wow. took over, we had seven. Wow. Wow. Yep. That's impressive in itself. Yeah. How yeah. many, when, so when you guys go to a, to a rodeo, how many get to go? Uh, this, this spring we've been taking around 30. Wow. Uh, we've got 30 kids. Mm, that's so. impressive. Managing that number of people, mm-hmm. period. Yeah, period is a tough gig, right? Let yeah. alone yeah. college kids. At well, times. we've we've had some conversations this year. Like my first year, Chris was there. My first year, it was easy to schedule practices. The first year, we had seven kids, mm-hmm. and practices were easy to schedule because I had seven kids, class schedules to look at, and we could say, okay, these are the times we're going to go. Now I have kids. Well, I can't make practice this time. I can't make practice this time. Well. I'm looking at 42 schedules trying to figure out what's best for the whole group, not for each individual. And it, you know, that's, that's been probably the toughest this year is uh, just managing the uh, everybody's class schedules and, and finding what works best for the whole team, not just for a few individuals. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. So why, why was there only seven whenever you came? Did it, had it fallen apart? It, it, yeah. It, uh, I don't. I don't really want to say, but it just yeah. there was uh, wasn't a priority. It, it, it wasn't something. a priority, and and uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that you've got to you've got to go out and work to get people there. And then yeah. the thing is, I think if if the kids know that I'm busting my ass for them and trying to make it better for them, they're willing to be there and they're willing to work with you. If they know that you don't really give a shit about them, they don't want to be there. Well, you know, and, that, and I think that's like leadership in anything, mm-hmm. right? I mean, leadership uh, leadership is something that a lot of people don't quite know how much, um, how all-consuming it is. But also um, that when leadership's done best, leadership is not some led by somebody who delegates. It's one who steps in front and leads from example. Like, you know, these kids are not going to be inspired to go and do and be and everything else for somebody that, you know, is just sitting back in the back room and, and telling, you know, them what to go out and do. It's just somebody that leads from the front and is out there working just as hard as they are. And, you know, you can't. I, I So something that I see with my kids, right, is I can't speak into their lives if I'm not part of their lives. Yes. Right? Yep. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's hard for. It's hard for these kids to go out there if if uh, if I'm telling them, hey, you need to be doing this at practice every day, and you need to be doing this, and then we don't have the opportunities for them at practice. I mean, it's yeah. And I I think that was some of the case in the in the past and stuff is, you know, I can tell Nico, hey, you need to go rope ten steers today, or you need to score horses, score your horses today. But if we're not practicing today, it's pretty hard for him to do those things. Yeah, yeah. So what? <laughs> When your first year went there, there were seven kids and now there's, is it 40, how many did you say? 42. 42. So what do you think, what has enabled that to grow and be successful and you're getting more and more? There's there's a whole bunch of factors. I think uh, one is uh, we have a great alumni system down mm-hmm. there and they've really stepped up and they've, they've raised a lot of funds for us to recruit. Um, two, we have a great administration. Mm-hmm. Our administration has done a really good job supporting the program. 
Uh, they bought us, a, we've got a new outdoor arena that we built last year. We've got new prefit bucking shoots, new prefit roping shoots mm-hmm. um, on the outdoor arena. They've, they've allowed us to do that. Uh, by the end of this, this year, we'll have a hundred new stalls. Um, wow. We used to have 22 stalls wow. total for the rodeo team. And they've gone out and either got donations or the school funded us uh, for five new stall barns of 20 stalls each. So now we'll have 122 stalls. And it used to be tough. I'm asking a kid to come down to Alpine, be on the rodeo team. We've only got 20 stalls. We don't have room for your horses. You're going to have to find a place for your horses. You're going to find a place for you. You know, that's, that's tough. That's a tough ask of a, of a kid. And then, uh, the other big thing I think is, uh, people want to be a part of something that's winning and improving. Yeah. And, you know, when I took over down there, I think the rodeo team had finished dead last in the region for two or three years in a row. Mm -hmm. And the first year we improved quite a bit. And then last year, we were we had we were in contention to go to the college finals before they canceled the season and right now our team's on track to qualify for the college finals and it'll be the first time since the 1980s that they've qualified for the college finals holy smokes really yeah, yeah. and wow. the the great the or the the crazy thing is Sol Ross has won nine national championships they they're tied for the most in the nation for team national titles they've won nine but none of them have been since the 80s yeah wow so you know that's one of the things now a lot of our alumni that are really supporting the program were there in the 80s. And they see that, you know, we've, we've got talented kids there. We've got kids that are working hard. Uh, the administration is starting to support us again. So now they're getting back involved and starting to support the school again, too. And that's, like I said, yeah. that, that can't be understated how much our alumni has supported us. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. And like, and, and like you were saying, success breed success mm-hmm. so people want to be around a team that's succeeding and the other the other good thing that happens there is there's no room for mediocrity on a team that's always pushing forward so a guy that was the best on his team just coasting if other people are pushing the limit now that guy can't afford to be mediocre he's got to start practicing harder mm-hmm. to keep up so it's just i i can see with your guys and the way you're coaching them it's just going to keep pushing that level higher and higher and higher which is that's the plan yeah that's the plan i can see it happening you know like every every year i think it's what three years that i've known you Mm -hmm. guys and every time every time i get to see you guys i can see the levels getting pushed higher and higher and the team is pushing each other well we've got like i thought it was pretty great this last weekend at the american i had two of our current students competing for the million dollars on sunday yeah. You know, and it's it's pretty cool that, you know, we've got a bull rider and a calf roper that are both in the round of eight competing for a million dollars on yeah. that are on our current team. And, <laughs> you know, it's like that's 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 pretty great when you've got that kind of talent. Yeah, yeah. that's really great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you were saying the same at the NFR last year. You had some students or a student. Or I, a had, student. I had I uh, had one of my current students finished fourth in the world in the bull riding yeah. and one of my former students finished second in the world in the bull riding. Yeah. So. I had uh, two of the top four in the world are current or former students. And, you know, it was pretty neat because texting them both during the finals. Yeah, and, yeah. and like Kai, we went out there and actually watched Kai because he's from Australia. And yeah. his parents couldn't come over and stuff. So we kind of went over to, to Arlington and were his support group there during yeah. the finals and stuff. So wow. Yeah, he, uh, man, he's, he'd seen, from what you've told me about Kai and how he's going out at the college there, he's just an all-around professional. And, and the good thing is he's got a coach in you that supports that. Yeah. And we were talking about that today about uh, being a professional athlete some people 
when they say they want to be a professional whatever, like a professional bull rider or a professional MMA fighter or whatever it is, they forget the professional part. They, they, they remember the sport, but they forget that it's being a professional of making your practices on time, staying a little bit late, getting your reps in and, and all the little one percenters, you know. All the things that nobody notices. Yeah, they do all of those little things that nobody notices. Yeah. You know, Kai will finish practice. Everybody else will go be, you know, be done. And he's got a little balance beam down there. He's got a two by four up on on the skinny edge, mm-hmm. and he's doing stuff on it, working on his balance. And he's we've got a PVC pipe there with a, a two by six, and he'll be doing balance drills on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff like that that you know people don't see the little work that he's doing after everything's all, you know, they consider everything's all done. He's still, yeah. he's still working on things. Um, you know, he gets up and goes, a lot of times he goes to the gym at five thirty in the morning, CrossFit and stuff. And, mm. you know, a lot of people talk about how much they want to be successful, but when it comes <laughs> time to, to hit the snooze button at five thirty in the morning, yeah. a lot more of them hit the snooze button and get up and go to the gym <laughs> yeah. at five thirty in the morning. I've, I've given people in this room haircuts because uh, they were supposed to run up to the top of the hill with me at at uh, 6 in the morning and uh, didn't show up. So oh. I got to give a haircut because oh. uh, yeah. they didn't they didn't show up for that. Yeah. It's a stylish haircut, too. Oh, no, it was, it was, you know, they, they banned him. They wouldn't let him go close to any elementary schools for a while. I don't know if that was because of the haircut, though. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Jeez, that's so, so like for you as a recruiter and a coach, or I guess mainly as a recruiter, if you're out there looking for for new recruits for your rodeo team, what are you looking for in an athlete? And I don't, you know, of course we're looking at skill in their discipline, uh, in their event, but uh, you're an experienced coach now. And and one thing I noticed with coaches like you versus less experienced coaches or the ones that don't have that knack is you can see something in people that maybe other people don't see and maybe even that person doesn't yet see in themselves. Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, and, and if, if you do, if you can do that, what is it you're looking for? The I wrote an article in Rodeo News about this. Okay. Uh, for tiny events, clean stalls. Okay. If they're willing to take care of the detail of cleaning their stalls daily, they'll go to the college finals. Mm-hmm. The people that I have to get on to clean their stalls all the time and stuff. They don't take care of the details enough to compete at a high level. Uh, and then just as a general deal, uh, grades. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I talked about it earlier today. You can't turn on work ethic on certain things. Yeah. And if you work hard on your grades, most of the time that's going to carry over to your sport. That's going to carry over to your personal life. If you don't work hard at your grades... You can't just turn on being great at your sport and then turn it off on certain areas of your life and turn it on. If you're going to be really good in one area of your life, most of the time that work ethic that takes to have good grades is going to carry over to your sports, going to carry over to your personal life. And I can work with somebody that's willing to learn. I can't work with somebody that thinks they know everything. And if I get somebody that has good grades, that tells me, one, they're willing to learn, and two, they're willing to work. And I can work with somebody like that and... They may not have as much talent, but they're going to go a lot farther because they're going to be humble enough to realize that, hey, I can I can learn this, you know, and I'll try to find people to come in and help them. If, if they're willing to learn, you know, like Kai right now, he's he's living over with Cody Lambert. I'm not the best bull rider in the world, never been on a bull in my life, 
I know a lot of the fundamentals, but I can get people to help him to get to where he needs to be. But I don't want to send somebody over there that I know is going to embarrass me or embarrass the program. So yeah. if I've got somebody that's willing to work hard enough, I'm willing to find those people to to get them there and get their you know get them to help those people. Yeah, man, that's mm. that's really interesting though, to to see it and not just see it in the work that they're doing, but to see it in their other facets of their mm-hmm. life too. Yeah, I, 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 I can I can go down. <clears throat> Probably with 80, 90% accuracy right now, my kids that are making college finals, if I went out to their stalls right now, you could go around and you could pick out the stalls that are the cleanest and they're going to be the same kids that are making the college finals right now. Yeah. And these guys think I'm joking with that, but it's, you know, it's pretty true. Obviously, you can't do it with rough stock riders because Mm -hmm. they don't have horses there. (laughs) But, uh, you know, that from from 14 years, that's what I've noticed is the people that take care of the small details like that are going to be the ones that are most successful. Yeah. Wow. That's... And you see that in their coaching and stuff. Like you've seen that in probably in MMA. The guys yeah. that, you know, that pay attention to the detail or work the extra part on it, the, it is, the yeah. refined part mm-hmm. of, of, a, of a punch. Or, yeah. You know, I see that in like a, in, in training for raining, right? Is that it is, there's a fine line between being neurotic and OCD and um, and being, you know, like wanting it to be as as good as it can possibly be. I think that's something that as a trainer of like reining horses is um, that it's, it's that's a hard spot to be in. Right. You have the pressure of going and competing and what and whatnot. And you want and you want to be good. But, you know, when do you when have you reached the potential of the horse that you're riding and when do you quit and go, well, that's all he's got, you know, or, you know, cause I, I, I think as a young trainer, I was the guy that was like, I'll make that thing, you know, and mm-hmm. you want to force that, you know, round, you know, ball into a square peg and, uh, and force yeah. it in there. Um, but, um, but you do see that, you just see that in the ones that, that excel at something is the just tenacity. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, for sure. Like, well, and, and, uh, I ask these guys, and they can tell you almost every day at practice, I'll ask them, what are you working on? Mm-hmm. I want to know what they're working on that day. I don't want them to go into practice. Uh, I've, I've got a lot of them that I feel they go out there, and, and they're just like running cattle to run cattle, or they're just getting on a bull to get on a bull to say they practiced. Mm-hmm. But they can't tell me what specifically they're working on. I know all the people that I've I've been around that compete at the highest level, they can tell me specifically to the detail what they're working on that day to get better. Um, I've had barrel racers make the NFR and I mean, one of them, she was neurotic. Like you said, she was neurotic. She could tell you, okay, I'm working on my horse flexing, bending, whatever, you know, moving him off his ribs. Mm -hmm. She was very, very specific and she didn't care if she hit every barrel that day, but she wanted that result that day. Mm -hmm. And then I've had other guys that, uh, that they go out there. Okay. Today, all I'm working on is my horse scoring. They could miss every single steer that day, but their horse got better scoring. Well, then you can build from there. If I go out there and I'm just roping to rope, what did I improve on? What did I build on? What am I going to be better at tomorrow because of my practice today? And I feel like the majority of of kids nowadays, if not for their parents or somebody else, they're going out there just to practice, to practice. They don't know to practice with a purpose, with a practice to improve and get better and be specific about it. The more specific you yeah. can be about what you're improving that day, the more you have to build on the next day. Yeah. And uh, I learned that like when I was, when I was getting my master's degree with uh, when I went up, I spent some time with Boise state football and that's their goal was they want to get 
one specific thing better every single day. Yeah. And they only put in, like, they do it where they're focusing on specific plays for specific players. Mm-hmm. And those guys are focused. They might have one player, and he might only come in for one play, but he's going to run that. He's going to execute that play at a very, very high level because that's all he's focused on at practice every day for however many uh, however many sessions. And essentially, that's what our kids are doing. I mean, if I've got a team roper, he's got one job. Mm-hmm. and he needs to do it at a high level. If I've got a bull rider, he's got one job. He needs to do it at a high level. So you need to figure out what your job is and the best way to do your job mm-hmm. and then execute it and figure out a way to get better at doing your job every single day. Yeah. That's funny. That's how I, I've, I've approached like rain, or like training, right? Is I've always I've said to clients and stuff that um, I'm not good at all at multitasking. Like that's the worst thing that I'm, I can't multitask, but that's been great for me in training horses. Cause I can focus on one thing and I drill it, drill it, drill it. And I get that one done and I move to the next. And when we're working on horses to go, you know, to get that big sliding stop that we do with ours, um, it's the sliding stop is the result of all the work running down, making sure they're straight, make sure they're relaxed. All of that small work at the end, the result is the stop. If I concentrate on the result, I never do all the small stuff before. Yep. You know? and, and, it, and it helps to be a little, little OCD or yeah. a, a little, you know, not, not being able to multifunction <laughs> different things. We've talked about this in team meetings, kind of like going back to your stop, is I want them to begin with the end in mind. And I'll tell them that. I want you to begin with the end in mind. Right. So when we start at the beginning of the year, want, what do you want? But then you have to reverse engineer it on how yeah. you're going to get there. Yeah. yeah. Because exactly. if if I go in and I talk to my team at the beginning of the year and I do it every single year, say, what, what's your goal? Almost every one of them puts to win a national title. Mm-hmm. And that should be their goal. Yeah. But if I ask them how they're going to do it, there may only be two or three people in the entire group that can tell me the details that they're going to do to get to that national title. And most of the time, those two or three people are the ones that are going to be competing for a national title while the rest of them are sitting there watching mm-hmm. or have donated money to the rest of them all year. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's, uh, I mean, the details are so critical in, yeah. in any sport. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want to do anything at a high level, like when, when we were working at super looper and stuff, you know, if, if we messed up an ad, we cost ourselves thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. If we missed a deadline, we cost ourselves hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So the details become super important and people don't realize that when they're at this age. But when you get, you know, when you get in a professional career and stuff and, you know, yeah. that's that's one thing we were we were pretty proud of the fact we never missed a deadline at Super Looper in the, in the nine years I was there. But mm-hmm. had we missed a deadline, it was going to cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. You know? Because well, then all your advertisers, you refund them because yeah. it's a timely publication and stuff. And, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I find things like that, it's sort of like, um, it's I feel like it's panning for gold. Like, it, it as you, you, you sift out all the little parts, so as the level gets higher, it gets more and more important. Mm-hmm. When you start anything, everyone's kind of just the same and you're, everyone seems to be going through the motions. And I know with the fight game and it's similar... In, I've noticed with, say, just like rough stock when you're starting out, it's just like, I just want to get, everyone's keen, so you're just like, I just want to get on stuff. I just want to get on as many bulls as I can. But then once it gets past that level of the, every, you know, once it sifts out the people that actually find out they don't want to do it, and it's very, that's very much the same in the fight game. So everyone just wants to fight. They, they turn up and they just want to spar. I just want to fight. And then after a month, 
most of those guys aren't still there and the ones that are left now it's now it's about doing the one percenters that isn't just getting in the cage and fighting and it isn't just getting on as many balls as you can it's doing the one percent things and practicing technique and fundamentals the fundamentals and then you test it yeah you test it you test it in the practice and you find out where you're falling short and then you go back and you up the level the fundamental level then you go back and test it again and uh, i noticed in the fight game the guys that all there was guys that would just they'd spar four times a week every week and i can go back to that same town they're still there doing the same thing they never made it out but and then and they feel good about beating those they're, guys up in they're the sport. The, like, yeah, they're like the local legend, you know. Like they, <laughs> they're like they're always okay at that level, but they they never made it anywhere past it because they never learned that they need to work on those fundamentals and put in the one percent of the th- other the things that everyone else doesn't want to do. Because everyone, <laughs> if you're a bull rider, everyone wants to get on practice balls, and if you're a, if you're a fighter, everyone loves sparring. But not everyone loves getting up at five thirty in the morning and doing the workouts other people don't want to do, and that's where like the cre- that's where you see the cream will rise to the top by doing those one percenters. Oh, yeah. so well, and I think that you see that. Tra- I think the greatest part about this, right, that I find in in high school and collegiate sports, period, right, is that um, man, there ain't nothing truer, and that helps out in the rest of your life. Right. It is, is, you know, whether you're in business, you want to be the top of your business, you want to be the top of your class, you want to be the top of whatever it is that you're trying to obtain or what you want to do. And once you realize that you can obtain that or you can reach the next deal and you work hard through that, then you know that there's something better at the end of the hard work. Right. And then it kind of pushes you to do the next thing. And and then as you do that, and it may not be necessarily what you're going to do the rest of your life. You know, maybe you're not going to be the bulldogger, you know, when doing that for a living when you're 50, you know, but it transfers in the rest of business. It transfers in the rest of life, period. That mm-hmm. whenever you find struggles in your household or you find struggles in your business and where you're working or a business that you started or whatever else, that you don't, you're not the first one to give up or to blame it on somebody else, but that you realize you can put your head down, you know what? And nobody gets there without the harder work. Yeah. You know Cody Heffernan, don't you? Yeah. So I used to have a big sign in my arena in New Mexico. That's He went to school for me in New Mexico. Okay. Yeah. And he's won, I think, the Australian PBR title twice. Mm. And uh, we had a big sign up that said, uh, no excuses, just results. Mm. And because, like, when I got first got over there, everybody had an excuse for everything. Yeah. Like, they had an excuse why they were bad. And I'm like, yeah. guys, this... I don't want excuses. I want to see results, whether it's a small improvement every day, you know, whatever it is, there, there has to be some accountability to it at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And own it. Yeah. And that's what I, I like about coaching is if I sucked as a coach, they're going to fire me. Mm. Uh, if I sucked at, uh, you know, if I was a school teacher and I'm terrible, they're probably going to fire me. Mm. And kids nowadays, a lot of them, their parents have protected them so much that if they're not good at something, they'll try to find a way to make them feel good about themselves instead of finding a way to have them work through it and get better yeah. at it. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's, it, it, that's one of the most frustrating things is, is, uh, is hearing the excuses all the time. And, you know, if, if I went in to, to Dr. Warnock and every day, you know, the rodeo team didn't do very well, well, I have terrible talent. We suck, and I can't get any better kids to come down here and stuff. They'd be looking for a new rodeo coach pretty quick. Yeah. But we've got to figure out a way for people to elevate their game 
and then go from there because, you know, the excuses aren't going to cut it. Nah. Uh, and you look at other sports and stuff and it's, it's all over the place. I mean, it's it's with MMA. Yeah, a lot of guys will go and hide, and they won't go and challenge themselves against better competition yeah. because they know that uh, if I go and if I fight this guy, I'm going to get beat. Yeah, uh, I see a lot of guys that they won't go and enter certain ropes or they won't go and enter certain rodeos because they know they're going to get beat. And instead of figuring out a way to make themselves better and elevate themselves to that next level, it's easier for them to go play in a small pond and, yeah. and feel mm-hmm. like they're the big fish rather than then go out and test themselves yeah no, yeah that's, that's very true so important hey about the the no excuses because yeah. um, and the, the the ironic thing is is you see some great competitors and and you'll see something happen and there would be an excuse they could there's an excuse that they could have mm-hmm. like that horse that, that you, you were saying about that uh spooked at the, at the american and the, and those people just won't they just won't use it. They'll yeah. just be like, it's fine. I'll be back. Like I thought was great with that that kid, the American, you know, he's like, I've been riding this horse for, I can't remember how many years he said. Mm-hmm. And he said, but, you know, he's won me, he's helped me win a lot of money in the past and he'll help me win a lot of money yeah. in the future. And, yeah. What was that? Just tell me what, what uh, was that. In- kid in the American, <clears throat> in the in the finals, the round of four, goes out there and ropes his calf in seven twos, fixing to win $1.1 million. And the crowd starts cheering, spooked his horse and his horse kind of run off. And the calf ended up getting up before the six seconds because it oh. took him a while to get back on his horse. Cost him winning $1.1 million. Wow. And, you know, everyone was, oh, man, he should go. I, I saw some pretty bad comments about saying what he should do to this horse. But like the kid said, horse got him there. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, yeah, the horse got him there. <clears throat> horse had never been in a situation like that. Probably never had a, you know, a 60-yard TV <laughs> right above him. Yeah. And, yeah. That's and not all very that. often you have that. And, yeah. you know. But, uh, yeah, you know, he didn't look to make excuses. He's like, shoot, I, I can work and get back here now. And I, I see that in, uh, there's, there's been a pretty bad culture in, in mixed martial arts over the last, I don't know, 10 years, maybe or less of, uh, guys will, they'll have beyond this, they'll have their team and they'll get to the top and they'll fight for a title and lose. And then they change teams. And, uh, and it's, you know, yeah, sometimes you need different stimulus and that sort of thing, but there's plenty of times when it wasn't their team, you know, you can tell, and it's just being at a championship level in any sport is hard. And, uh, and, and that's, um, that's something I was talking to Heath today about the, the bull riding instructor about like a guy getting here, he was talking about Kai going to the NFR so young. And he was saying how that, that it's like a gift to be able to learn a championship level so so young that's like inve- an investment in the bank and oh. uh, and it's the same in the fight game if you if you can operate at a high level it do- if you get a loss hey, that's part of the sport but it's that learning how to operate there and then coming back and now you're experienced at it and uh, I have a lot of respect for people like that guy we were talking about with his horse they're not going to take the excuse and or blame their team or whatever and and but they're going to come back to that level and they know they're going to win you know so it's Kai and I had a kind of on the same lines we had a really good conversation after the NFR mm-hmm. about um he did really well there finished fourth mm-hmm. in the world you know at one point I think with a couple nights left he was actually leading the world he still had a shot to win the world going into the last round mm-hmm. um but he said he felt like he prepared a lot more physically for the NFR. And he said, the thing is, it was a lot tougher mentally. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he said that, you know, next year, 
next time he makes the NFR, he's going to make sure he prepares more mentally and physically. You know, he's still going to do his physical yeah. preparation, but he said it was tougher mentally on him than it was physically. Yeah. yeah. You know, getting on 10 bulls, he does that a lot. You know, he all summer he gets on a lot of bulls all summer. Yeah. But, you know, with all the, the mental stuff that he had to face and, you know, I'm not going to make excuses for him. His his parents couldn't come over here mm. and stuff, you know, because they couldn't make it over because of COVID. Yeah. But everybody was facing certain COVID struggles. Right. But, <clears throat> you know, it was, there was challenges he had. Yeah. And then, you know, being 19 years old, a lot of those guys he was competing against, uh, you know, 25, 26, 27 years old, had been there a couple of times. Yeah. They knew how to handle, you know, they'd been, they had learned from yeah. the stuff there in the past. Um, I've had a couple other, I've had seven students make the NFR in the last, I think, five years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have said the same thing, that it's it's tougher on you mentally yeah. than it is physically. Yeah. Yeah. Do and you do anything with your college students on, on mental preparation? We we do. We did a, I actually did a deal with them last year, and I saw it on a, uh, they did it at the NFL Combine. And my kids talk about they talked about how when you go to competition, how it's hard to focus with all the noise and everything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. So they call it a concentration grid. It's random numbers, 10 by 10 grid, 1 to 100. They're just scattered on there randomly. We give them the grid. They look at it for two minutes. And then the first time, I have them do it three times. And they get three different sets of grids. They get a look at it two minutes. First time, two minutes, absolute silence. I call out a number like 32. And they have to find 32, 33, 34, 35. And I see how many they can get. Then the second time, they get to look at it for two minutes. I have music playing. I'm walking around. have people talking. Or, you know, I have other distractions in there. Call out a number. They have to go and find it. See how many they can find in, I guess it's two minutes we give them to find it. The third time, I have music blaring in there. Like, yeah. it's uncomfortably loud. I sent, I sent out a group text message. And it was a long text message. So if you read the whole thing, it's going to take up. 30 seconds of your time. Mm. And the interesting thing was the kids that I felt handled the pressure the most, the first time they took that test with silence, they might have scored like, say, 30 on it. Mm. When they took the test in all the noise and chaos, they scored 27 on it. Mm. The kids that don't perform well under pressure, first time, say, they scored 30 on it. The last time, I had kids that actually scored three or four on it the last time because they allow all those outside distractions to take away from what they're doing. So we do a lot of stuff and then we try to make as many competitions and practice as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, We put up the barrier all the time at practice. We have Joe Beaver matches. Um, We have matches. We time it. We put, we have the, we've got the big led light up there on Mm -hmm. the side of the announcer stand. So we're timing it so they can see the time and stuff. And we try to put them in as many pressure situations we play music at practice yeah so that when they get to the rodeos it's not something they've seen yeah. you know they haven't seen we actually have a wireless mic and during practice i will have them go down and they get to talk crap about each other <laughs> while they're practicing so you're back in the box you're hearing them talk about you yeah but you've got to throw that out yes. and still go do your job yeah and i've had i've actually had people tell me well man that's that's not that's not good that's not teaching them anything well oh I think when our guys get to competition, and if you look at the track record of, of the teams I've coached over the last few years, we're normally better in the spring than we are in the fall. Mm-hmm. And we we continue to improve, but we're continuing to push ourselves, whether it's the distractions in the arena, whether it's 
you know, we can start to eliminate those. We can start to eliminate the the pressure of competition. We put up the barrier. We make them yeah. run cattle with the rope barrier. Um, you know, we give consequences. Nico, do if you ever had to do tire flips at practice for messing up? Well, uh, in case you haven't known, <laughs> I held the record for the most tire flips for you, right? Yeah, yeah. for me ever. <laughs> I had to do over 600 tire flips. Man. Holy what smokes. was that a punishment for? Well, or a consequence of bets making and then... bets and poor life decisions. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. But that man, the, the, the thing I like about that and I, it resonates so strongly with me because that's how I trained my MMA team was really similar. And it, it's like what, what other people can, might consider pressure, your team is normal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you train them to a level where they're operating on it. It's just normal. And other people are starting to crack under that pressure because yeah. they've just lived in it. Well, yeah. we, we do things like uh, with the tire flips, we make that. <coughs> uh, we talk about it. When you go to a rodeo and you break a barrier, there's consequence. You just lost your entry fees. You just yeah. lost the opportunity to do well. So a lot of times in practice, man, we'll make them do tire flips for breaking a barrier. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how much better they start to score when there's a consequence mm-hmm. than when I just put up the barrier and say, okay, today you break the barrier, nothing happens. They might break the barrier two or three times in a row before they actually score one and do th- things correctly. I make them get off and do tire flips. They're going to figure it out real quick yeah. because they don't want to get off their horse. They don't want to do tire flips. Yeah. But having that consequence gives them a reason to improve because uh, nobody wants to get off their horse and do tire flips uh, nobody wants to get off and run laps or, you know, whatever it is we do that day. But having that consequence, and I tell them there's no difference between that and going to a rodeo and you have the consequence at the rodeo, you just added money to the pot. Yeah. You just became added money. So that was your consequence. You you made somebody else richer. Mm-hmm. So if you're satisfied with that, then you can be satisfied with that in the practice pin doing the tire flips because you're going to go flip my tire some and you're going to make me feel better. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the same thing as adding money to the pot. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, uh, one of the things that I hear people, you know, when I, people will come in and get coaching from outside and stuff and you'll hear people talk about like, well, I don't want to compete until, you know, like I've, I've, I've got it and I can, I'm mm. going to be competitive. And, um, and I, as a, as a coach and trainer with my non-pros, I actually get them, into the bigger competitions before they're probably ready sometimes because I need for them to experience it like at a time when it's you're I know that you're not quite ready and you're not going to win and you got this idea in your head you might win or whatever mm-hmm. else but they have to deal with those consequences now so that whenever they are ready and they're prepared we're not waiting till we're perfect but that we're going to experience this now when mm-hmm. I, and 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 I think it's odd how many times I hear from people that are are uh, that have the idea that they're they're gonna um, they're just gonna step in and win, you know, and and they're not gonna go there until they have it all down and perfect. And man, how many times do you go and compete? Are you in that situation before you ever find comfort in it? You know, you have to be comfortable in in that environment, and there's no way of doing that outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can create that, and you in doing all those things, you can get create a familiarity with it. But then, like the, your, your kids that are going and, and making the NFR, like, you can't recreate that. No. The stress and the 10 days <clears throat> being there that long and the toll that it takes on all of that, I mean, no matter what you do, that's still going to be a toll that you've never experienced before. And we see that 
you see that somebody that's never been to five rounds before. Oh, yeah. You know, like how, like, you know, you just can't imagine it. Yeah. And one, th- <laughs> one thing I say to guys in the fight game, and uh, and I think it's really, it, I think it's one of those things that would come into play, yet, like an NFR when they're going round after round, day after day, is uh, you can't control what the other guys are doing. So I see a lot of younger fighters will start, you see them like looking at the eyes of their opponent, trying to see if they're tired. And you can see them going, man, I'm tired. Is he tired? Like, should I? And, and, I, and I think, like, I, I always say, you can't control that. Just control you. You can only control like how you're feeling and what energy you're bringing to it. And that's, that's it, you know, your intensity yeah. and your output. Well, see, that's the, the biggest difference between what we're doing and, and the MMA is I tell my guys it's indirect competition. Mm, yeah. uh, Nico, when he lines up, or when he enters a rodeo, uh, he's not in direct competition with anybody else. It's not like football where you're lining up against somebody else, and mm. if we put somebody that's six, seven, three hundred 300 pounds, they're going to crush Nico. Mm. Well, Nico's got just as good a shot as anybody, but he has to do his job. Yeah, so he's competing against himself. Competing against himself. <clears throat> if you do your job at a high level, how successful should you be? Mm-hmm. If you don't execute your your job at a high level, it doesn't matter what anybody else does because you didn't do your job to begin with. So somebody's going to beat you regardless. Uh, You're responsible for your actions and your actions only because it's indirect competition. It's, you know, it's not like football, basketball, MMA, where you're, if your competitor is more physically talented than you or, or has a better team than you, they can actually beat you. It's, you know, I could stick Jacob on a bull and he could go out and get lucky and ride one. The rankest bulls, you know, we could stick him on chisel and he goes out and rides chiseled. He could win the rodeo because everybody else fell off. Or we could stick him on uh, the old Coriani bull and he goes out and rides him and he wins the rodeo because everybody else fell off. Yeah. You still have to do your job. Yeah. You had to cover yeah. your bull because everybody else is going to fall off. So. Yeah. And that's it. If you're, if you're worrying about what they're doing and you're not worrying beat. about your job, you're already beat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's... Do you do anything like, um, like on the mental preparation, like how they, how they, uh, how they talk to themselves whenever they're going to end to compete? With some of the kids, I do. Yeah. Um, it depends. The biggest thing we talk about a lot is getting in a routine. Um, I want them to have a very specific routine yeah. uh, before they compete. Like right. uh, Kai's got a very specific routine. He has a, a little, I mean, from about 10 minutes before he competes, uh, there's a there's a book that I actually have a lot of the kids read. It's 10-Minute Mental Toughness. Mm. And it's by a, it's by a track coach, a U.S. Olympic track coach. And they talk about how they want you to focus. You should only have to focus 10 minutes before you compete to get ready in a in an individual sport. And if you're worried about what you're doing eight hours before you compete, four hours before you compete, you're burning all your mental energy yeah, that yeah, you need yeah. to compete at a high level. Uh, a lot of times you'll create more problems because you start worrying about all these other things. So they want you to focus. And I guess it is kind of a positive talk, but they want you to focus on what you what you need to do for 10 minutes before you compete. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to, 10 minutes before you compete, you need to have your routine, get in your routine, execute your routine, and then be done with it. Instead of worrying, you know, because you've probably seen guys that fight day, they change their whole routine that whole oh, day. Yeah, yeah. And instead of sticking, <laughs> and 10 minutes before, you should be able to get into that zone, be ready to compete, mm-hmm. go and execute. If you've done your preparation. Yeah. If you haven't done your preparation, yeah, then you should probably be worried as all get out and get <laughs> yeah. your fix and get your ass yeah. kicked. Yeah. 
Um, one of the things that I do with like a young horse, like for, for the big part of my career, I did young horse, the, the futurity competitions and, and that kind of stuff. And so I really find that the age events such a cool deal, right? Because you're taking a young horse to try and make it reach its, it, the best of its potential, right? Um, and so one of the things that I've always told people is that um, to make that horse, so you're taking them into a new environment, same way as you do, aren't you're doing with your kids? There's lights, there's some noise. I don't get to ride where there's a hundred in the pen, you know, except for whenever I'm at a competition like that, you know, where there's that many people there riding, and I can't recreate that, you know, staying up all night, the lights are on all night. I mean, look, it, it stresses a young horse, young horse out completely. But what I can do is I can control and give him something that he's familiar with. So it's kind of like that, that, that you do with, you know, you're doing with them, that mental preparation beforehand to create a familiarity with what something that you can control and you can do. So what I do with mine is I give them like, a, um, uh, you would take a kid, if you're taking a kid to, to the first day of, of school and they're five and they're heading in there, you know, you would send them with like a security blanket or something mm -hmm. that, if they're really worried, right? So you give them something that they're familiar with to create comfort, right? And when I do, when I take a young colt to his first time out, if he's looking, he's doing whatever else, I make sure my routine is where he finds his comfort. So that whenever I'm getting him ready, that I don't, if, even if he's distracted or whatever he's doing or whatever else, it may take me 30 minutes instead of the regular 10. But that 30 minutes, we, by the time I get done with that 30 they're minutes of that routine, he's relaxed and he has, he has something he can confidence. count on, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm building his confidence because I don't become erratic. I don't become, you know, a, a tighter and harder and harsher with them whenever I'm out there. I build that routine at least in somewhat with familiarity. I can create that for him whenever he gets there. That's kind of what you're doing with you. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Then the other thing, these guys have heard me talk about it a lot of times in our team meetings is <laughs> I don't want you to expect to do anything at a rodeo that you haven't done at a practice pit. Yeah. If you can't do it at a practice pin, don't try to do it at a rodeo. Yeah. You know, if Nico's never made a, a five-second run in the bulldogging, don't try to make a four-second run <laughs> at the rodeo because... You know, you've got to be able to execute it in the practice pin. If you can't make an 80-point bull ride in the practice pin, don't try to make an 80-point bull ride at the rodeo. Stay within yourself. Do what your skill set has you doing well. And, you know, once you build up to that in the practice pin, then you can expect to do it at the rodeo. Yeah. But you can't expect results that you haven't done the work for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, a lot of what you're saying is, you know, the a lot of times that comfort zone, if I'm comfortable doing something... I've got to step out of my comfort zone in the practice pin to get right. those yeah. those better results. Like I've got certain guys. Uh, we had a guy a couple of years ago at school. He'd only run a couple of steers in the bulldog. He knew what our better steers were, and those were the only ones he would run. You're not getting any better. Yeah. You've got to you've got to run the steers that are going to challenge you and make you do things correctly mm -hmm. if you want to elevate your game because you're not always going to draw the pups. And when you do draw the pups, you're supposed to win. So everybody can win on those. But the guys that are going to win the most they gotta be able to place on the steers that are kind of marginally good mm. or maybe not so good uh they've got to get by a bad bull they've got to get by a bad bucking horse they've got to get by a bad team roping steer mm. they've got to be able to rope one with a head trick or something yeah. but you've got to be able to you've got to be able to execute that in the practice pin before you can ever do it at the rodeo yeah, yeah. you can't wait to there to see the yeah. see it this yeah the first yeah. time you're seeing yeah. it is there you're in trouble yeah and that yeah. goes back to what we were talking about of the being disciplined with your practice, putting in the extra 1%, turning up on time and all that stuff. It's because it allows you to mm -hmm. see all these different looks and get experienced at practice. Yeah. So One of the things that I have that my uh, uh, non-pros do is 
<clears throat> I, I eliminate things from their dialogue that keeps them from getting themselves into trouble. Like I have them, um, I don't let them, whenever they're running, like they're, what they're going to visualize their run or pay attention to what they're doing. Um, I have one of the things that I have them do is you can run your run, you can run your pattern so that you know what you're supposed to do whenever you're in the pen or whatever. But when you're running it mentally, you ride a unicorn. Like you ride the perfect horse. It doesn't mess up. It doesn't lean. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. So they don't get in the habit of riding it tighter, be shortening up, doing, you know, riding and ride in anticipation of what the horse might do because they create it. Right. And um, so I make them when they're running their runs in their head, I make them run <clears throat> riding a unicorn. This is a good perfect. It's the best horse you ever saw. You never rode that horse before. It's un incredible. It's unbelievable. It never does anything wrong. And the other thing that I have them do is I never let them uh, use the word don't. No. I never let them use it. Don't, don't lean. Don't do this. Don't yeah. do that. Because all your, all your brain just... Yeah. positive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just not not getting them into the habit of, of going down that road. Yeah. Of what the... Just staying on the positive. Yeah, staying, what they are going to do correctly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I mean, you, and you still prepare for the the crazies and the difference and whatever else in, in, in your practice. Yeah. But when you're, when you're getting ready that you just don't, you know, you don't tell yourself the don'ts, you know, because yeah. all you do here is the, what you don't do. Yeah, my <laughs> wife will appreciate this story. So I have uh, my bulldog horse. She's old now. She's 21 years old. When I first started hauling her, she was uh, five mm -hmm. and I started hauling her to pro rodeos and practice pen. She worked great. And I'd ride her like she worked great. <clears throat> And I'd get to the rodeos and she wouldn't work very good. And I'd have problems with her in the box and stuff. And finally, my wife's like, you need to quit riding her like she's a colt and ride her like she's a good horse now. <laughs> and because I had other guys that were riding her and they were winning. And she's like, you're making her look bad because you still ride her like she's the colt <laughs> instead of riding her like she's the good horse. Mm -hmm. And when I started riding her like she was a good horse, it uh, totally changed. I mean, but it was a mental deal for me mm -hmm. because I remembered her when she was, you know, when we were starting her and she was three and a half years old, four years old. All the battles we went through, and I rode her like she was that horse yeah. instead of the horse she had become. Yeah. And uh, it's hard; it's making the transition from being the trainer to the competitor. Yeah, right. And oh, it was it was one of the most difficult things I'd done it is, because it's tough. I uh, I got there, and you know, I I know what she is capable of doing, but I also knew what she was capable of doing on the bad side, and I rode <laughs> her trying to prevent that instead yeah. of expecting her to do yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, I was I was doing the negative. You the don't. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. riding the don't instead of Man. going out there and doing the, the positive thing, and once I figured out to ride her like she was the good horse, she was the good horse. Yeah. She was the really good the horse. Occasion. I ran yeah. a steer on her with no bridle at circuit finals. Yeah. 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 But you know what? That's, those are cool deals, though, right? Whenever you hit that part where you yeah. realize that you are the resistance... Yeah. Right. You oh, are the. Oh. I, I fought with my wife, and, and, <laughs> and finally I had to have a yes dear moment. It was like yes dear, you're right, and and Dead and <laughs> admit defeat, and, and tuck your tail, and and run. But uh, but no, it was it was one of those like you said. It was I was doing all the the negative things. I was expecting the bad things to happen yeah. instead of letting her be letting the good things happen. I was trying to prevent the bad yeah. things happening, and I was and creating the bad things. Yes. Yeah, I was creating the bad things. No, but those, like, so for horses, right, that's when there, there's, like, those big light bulb moments when you realize that whenever I'm training to make them perfect, instead of allowing them make, to make mistakes and guide them to, to what they want to do or what they should do, like, that's what you're doing with these kids, right? You're, I think that's one of the things that most people don't get about being a really good coach is... Allowing your, allowing who you're coaching 
to make the mistakes is where they mm-hmm. learn the most. Mm-hmm. We all do. We're like, we learn the most from our biggest failures. Mm-hmm. Now, I, like, I've had some pretty cool instances and times where it was like, oh, it was just yeah. like euphoric and it was great. I couldn't tell you what those runs were really like, yeah. right? The bad ones, I can tell you. Like, yeah. I don't want to experience that again. I did, like, I will work diligently to not have that. I don't want to do that again. And I remember those, right? Mm. But those, that's where I, you learn the most is, is from your failures. And, and it, and it, and it can make you something great out of well, that. I think some of my students, uh, we talked about one of my students before, um, when she came down, she had dominated in high school. She, mm. she won everything in high school. And she came down and she was struggling. And I get a call from, from her parents and saying, Hey, you need to do more. You need to help her. The best thing that ever happened to her was actually the struggles because she got by on talent and good horsepower, but she didn't have the work ethic to go along with it. Mm-hmm. That first year she struggled. Now she, she's one of my best competitors because now she's got the work ethic because she figured out, Hey, down here, the talent's a lot. There's, there's a lot of people that are good down here. One, yeah. And two, the horsepower is a lot better, and I can't just win just because, you know, because they're afraid of me now. Right. I have to actually go out and figure out a way to outwork people, to outperform people, and the one year of struggle has now led to several years of success, and I, it's going to continue to lead of year to years of success because yeah, she figured out how to work yeah. through that. It's like yeah. a huge life life like, lesson like, period. Like that right? that struggle. It was miserable for that that six months or however long it lasted, mm-hmm. but it's going to last her the rest of her lifetime because now she's figured out that she can work through things. That you know the mm-hmm. the the time you're going through is not gonna it's not going to define you, but how you react to yeah. it is going to define you. Yeah. And I think when people realize that, that's uh, that's like you said that where the breakthroughs happen. You know yeah. how you react to what what happens is going to define you a lot yeah. more than than what actually happened to you. Um, I mean, I've had, I've seen it happen with a lot of kids that they've been put in bad situations. They've had struggles and some of them have, have uh, reacted in, in ways that have aston- astounded me and they've gone on to do great things, whether it's in the arena or whether it's in their personal life because of the way they reacted to those yeah. things. Mm-hmm. And I've had other people that I'm ashamed to say, you know, they became bad people because of it, because yeah. they became bitter. They, they put jealousy or whatever it was. They found excuses instead yeah. of found a way to, to get through it. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that I've really tried to get better as, as a coach is help people get through those those tough situations. And, you know, the bad thing is I don't know everybody's story. I don't know what they've been through. I don't know what they're mm-hmm. going through. A lot of times they won't open up and tell you those things. Yeah, but, that's true. Uh, you know, if you know some of that, you can, you can help them get through a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But one thing I notice that you do really well that I think is important as a leader and a coach and as a, a horse trainer is uh, you're there to guide and but you're also there to keep them accountable. And that's one thing I've noticed actually like out here riding with Todd, like there's a different from the outside, what you can watch horses, you can watch a horse lope a circle, right? And there's a, from just watching, they can look the same, two different horses, but one's being held on the circle and one has been trained to be accountable to keep itself there. And, uh, and that's the same as with coaching. Like you can train your, your, your students to keep, to be accountable, to do the work, or you can be micromanaging, making them do it. Yeah. And the, uh, and you only notice the difference when the bridle's off and so to speak, and 
the the wheels fall off if someone's been micromanaged, whereas if they've been trained to be accountable, they can keep doing it. We had a an instance in practice the other day. We were getting ready to buck horses, and I had a kid, and he's like, I don't remember that horse's brand. He must not be very good. I'm like, go ahead and get on him. <laughs> this Let's horse pile drove him. <laughs> and he was getting up, and I was like, I bet you remember his brand next time. He's like, why didn't you tell me he bucked like that? And I was like, we only have 10 bucking horses. You should have remembered him. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. But, and you if know, you'd have told him? If I would have told him, he yeah. would have never got on him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what that's those lessons that people need, you know? Yeah. And he might remember that in years. Well it's same thing. Go to a rodeo, you need to pay attention to all the bucking horses because just because you didn't draw it at that rodeo doesn't mean you're not gonna draw it three rodeos yeah. from now or next yeah. year. So, you know, you need to know it. Nico and the team open, he goes to one of these rodeos. We've got the same stock contractor at, at four rodeos this spring. Just because you didn't draw the steer at Odessa doesn't mean you're not going to draw him at one of the next three rodeos we have him at. So, yeah. you know, pay attention to him just because, you know, it wasn't short-sighted and it didn't benefit you today doesn't mean it's not going to benefit you in uh, the next three rodeos. Because, yeah. okay, I got a steer that sets up if I run up on him and I watched him do it at Odessa. I watched him do it at Sweetwater. Well, now I've got him in, in Big Springs, you know, but if I didn't pay attention to those steers... It's gonna bite me in the ass. Yeah, it's gonna cost yeah. me money. Yeah, now, yeah. Now that's you know that I think that's really cool to be you know I think it's important now too for you know not just the horses and rodeo and 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 fighting and everything else but like just from a parent's point of view too that you know I I find myself you know trying to you know make it easier and then you know and that kind of stuff and I don't want I don't want them to have to struggle as much and you know that kind of stuff. But man, I think we lose sight. You know, yeah. I, I think it's easy as a parent to lose sight of the fact that the struggle, you know, what made me good was that it wasn't just handed to me, you know, and I had to work for it. What did Tiff tell Lauren the other day when she fell? You were talking about that the other oh, day. Uh, something to do with, uh, you'll get no sympathy. For me. <laughs> yeah. Lauren was running around and Tiff told her, you need to quit running. You're going to bust your butt. And she busted her butt and Lauren came over there crying and she's like, you're not going to get any sympathy for me. I told you. Yeah. And that's man. And Lauren's like, okay. And yeah. she turns and walks off. But that's pretty rare these days though. Yeah. Man, it, it, it's yeah. an important thing, I think. And that's not being, that's not being mean. That's, you know, like it's, if it'd be mean if you, if say you hadn't warned them and then just bang, something happened and there was no you're sympathy. Like, yeah, but, yeah. Tough luck. But if but if you've been telling them and that you know that I think that's just good life lessons yeah. and, it, and it's a lesson in many ways and it teaches them maybe I should listen next time too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's man. So so we've talked about like your progression to where you got and your team now. But what about the what do you see for the future of your team and what do you hope for for the future and 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 some things you're aiming for? Well. I've got goals for the team and I've shared them with the team. I've got, you know, I, I write down my goals just like I expect them to. Uh-huh. And uh, our goal is to win a national title. Yep. I mean, that's, that's, that's our number one goal or that's my number one goal for the team. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to win a national championship. I feel I've won national coach of the year. I've been a finalist for it several other times. Um, I've got a couple records in the NRA. I feel for me, that would be that's that's what I want for myself as a coach is I want to lead a group of young men, young women to a national title, mm-hmm. and then after I do that, I want to do it again. Uh, <laughs> but the other thing that I tell these guys is I think probably even more important than a national title is 
one, I expect them to graduate. And mm -hmm. right now, over my co coaching career, I have an 82% graduation rate. Mm -hmm. I expect my students to graduate. Um, I've had over 60 academic All-Americans in 14 years. Uh, so I expect them to do well in the classroom. And then I expect them to good, be good people. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they struggle with one or those three areas or two of those three areas. Or sometimes some of them struggle <laughs> in all three areas. But I think we're trying to give them the groundwork uh, to be successful in those areas. Mm -hmm. uh, and to me, a lot of times, you know, some of my biggest success stories as a coach have nothing to do with the arena. Yeah. Um, it's some of the kids that, you know, I had I had one kid that him and I, when he was in my program, we battled daily. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had my expectations for him and he had no expectations for himself. And he's doing really well now. And when he left my program, I thought he hated me. And we were at a rodeo a couple of years ago, and he came up to me and told me that uh, I was the best thing that ever happened to him because I made him be accountable for his actions. And, that you know, basically I helped him get out of, you know, a lot of bad situations in his life by doing that. And to me, that's more important than probably, you know, winning team titles, winning stuff like that, because, you know, that's that's ultimately what we're there for. Um, you know, who knows what would have happened to him if, if, uh, if you know, we hadn't helped Funny story with that is all you'll, you'll kind of appreciate this. I had I had two little bull riders. It was my very first year coaching, and they were always running their mouths about I'm going to beat you up. I'm, they they hated each other. They were going to beat each other up, and I've got all my buddies. We're going to catch you outside, and I'm going to jump you and beat you up. So I went to the little local store there, and I bought me two 16 ounce set of gloves. <laughs> they showed up to practice, and I had four 16 foot panels set up. Yeah, <laughs> and I had the whole team sit on the edge of the panels. <clears throat> I was the referee. Three minute rounds. Uh, one minute break in between the rounds, and we had a three round boxing match. Yeah, <laughs> and said, You guys can talk all you want, now it's time for you to put up or shut up. And the only way we're stopping the fights when you get knocked out, <laughs> otherwise, we're going full three rounds. And we got a lot settled in that arena, in that, in that boxing ring. Uh, over the almost got me fired, but it also was one of the best things for those two young men yeah. because they had never been held accountable their yeah. life. Uh, the one the one young man came to me and he said that was the most scared I've ever been in my life because I had never had to face anything like that in my life before. He said I'd always been able to run from it or get my buddies to come back me up or cover yeah. for me or or bail me out of stuff. And he said I couldn't hide anywhere. Yeah, and uh, you know had to had to basically face his fears and step up right there. And he did get his ass whipped that day too. Yeah, and. It was good for him. Yeah. And I'm telling you, like, that's the thing about, you know, I, I, we as men operate a certain way, mm -hmm. right? And, yeah. and, and, and it's not, to. and it's not a, just a big old coincidence that you see a majority, you can have the, hear the trash talking mm -hmm. guys and the big fights and whatever, and, but they're all shaking hands and hugging each other when they're done. <laughs> yeah. And there's mm -hmm. something about a man and another man dealing with the struggle and that it creates a bigger bond, you know? It's not only that, it's not only a coincidence that you see some of your greatest, longest lasting lifetime relationships are between men and the biggest struggles that they've had, whether it's still on the you know front of a war or it's a it's a biggest battle in business or in, in sports or whatever else. It, that's what creates, you know, in us the challenge and the, and the having to put your money where your big mouth just mm -hmm. puts you, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that's such a great life lesson.
Yeah. You know? Huge I'd do it again like, if they'd let me. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, honestly, that would they be need the more best thing for that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They need more and, and I hear from guys that went to school back in the day when there was boxing in schools, at least back in Australia, you know, there was some, it was just part of the PE program. And they, yeah, we they, did that in junior high. They talk about how great it was because it was, yeah. and I remember we did a bit of that at school, but it was on the down low. It was kind of like a, an underground thing, but it was, it was, uh, <laughs> we definitely wasn't school sanctioned, but <laughs> it was, uh, it was good because, our coaches it was, did it. Yeah, and it was my it high was, school football coach did, and it was great. Yeah, yeah we did it in junior high. They took us out, and it was it was the it was day to put on the gloves. Yeah. Anybody you wanted to challenge for the whole year that you wanted, you know, whatever yeah. you laid it out. And, and, it, and we it, all did. Like society these days, without getting too political or on the high horse, it's it seems to be nerfy. It wants to bubble wrap people, mm-hmm. but it's doing the opposite effect to what they want in that it's making things worse like oh, yeah. far worse you know one of my favorite quotes is that everybody needs to be punched in the mouth and yeah. realize they're not made of glass that's it everybody hey. needs to be hit at that's least it. once and you know <laughs> i they need i mean i was that way i was i was the trash talker in football in high school i was terrible at talking trash yeah and then my senior year they made me quarterback and playing quarterback is a terrible position to talk trash at because <laughs> <laughs> you do get lit up and you you know <laughs> Uh, I've been known to have an alligator mouth, <laughs> but I I played. I was a defensive back. Um, my first, I I started every game from my freshman year on in varsity, and by my senior year, they made me quarterback, and I I talked quite a bit of trash, mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah, you had to. I had to learn to be quiet because people will take a fifteen yard penalty to oh. shut you up. <laughs> it's quite worth and, it, and uh, they will knock your air out. You can't talk. Yeah, I, I found that out the hard way. Yeah, and how and that man is tough these days with social media, where but you can throw chat oh. from across the other mm. side of the world, and there's no <laughs> risk of accountability. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's where it's so important to have programs like what you're running and and sports that are that are do have consequence. That's the thing. What I love about I'm so passionate about the martial arts. And passionate about rodeo is because there's some real consequences there, and yeah. that's and I think it's a lesson that's it's becoming more and more rare in the world, and, and you can't deny it. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's it speaks for itself. You put yourself <laughs> in the pen, yeah, or you go, you know, put yourself in the rodeo, or you go and put yourself up against a horse or whatever else. You know, there's no lying in that. Yeah. You know, you can't go yeah. and cry foul and ask for favors yeah. and whatever else like that stuff. You know, it comes out. Yeah. I wrote an article in Super Looper for Super Looper, and they never give me the green light to put it in, but oh. it would have offended a lot of team ropers. <laughs> but, you know, team ropers and barrel racers are the two people that are known for whining the most in mm-hmm. sport rodeo. They're the two that never get humbled. Yeah. So a barrel racer always has to find an excuse to justify in her mind why they didn't win, and it can't be their fault or their horse's fault because they have to be able to justify going to the next one. So it's got to be the ground, the barrels, the conditions, something else. Sure. Team ropers, it's got to be their partner, their horse, steer, their rope, whatever it is. More more variables. The but, more variables they can. Yeah. All the other events, bareback riding, you get humbled. You get bucked off, you get humbled. Saddle bronc riding, you get bucked off, you get humbled. Bull riding, you get bucked off, you get humbled. Steer wrestling, you get packed off by a steer, you get your shirt ripped off, you get humbled. Calf mm-hmm. roping, they get kicked by a calf or something, they get humbled. Team ropers, barrel racers never get humbled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why you hear the most complaining and, and griping from them is because, you know, they can they can put the blame on something mm-hmm. else a lot easier than any other any other events in, mm-hmm. in the sport of rodeo. Yeah. yeah. That's such an important 
important lesson I think in life, right? It's yeah. just that humility through having to deal with some, you know, tough situations. Adversity. So that's it. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I, I guess we're getting to the end here, CJ. So what? <laughs> I know you're always recruiting, and I think it's this is a really good avenue for you to like let, yeah. let the people listening know about your program and how they can get in touch with you. I mean, there's and then it's a good place for them to actually hear what leadership sounds like, and yeah. you know, you know, I think that's something important yeah. for, for a parent to know where they're sending and who's going to be leading their kid. You know, mm-hmm. outside of the house. <laughs> the funny thing is, you say that I've had some parents come down, and I meet the parents, and they leave, and I'm like, nope. There's no way I'm, yeah, the I'm having might, them. The there, kid I, there's survive. no way I want their kid there. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so say uh, there's a kid out there, say in the high school that, that, that's rodeo on pretty hard and that sort of thing and is looking at going to college afterwards. What's the path? Like what, what, what would be the path? That that well, the, the easiest way, um, uh, there's, there's really no easy way in, in college rodeo because, uh, you know, most of the other college sports, they have recruiting services and they yeah. tell the coaches who the best players are and they go to, they have their little combines and stuff. College rodeo, for the most part, you got to promote yourself. Yeah. Um, I, I do a lot of my recruiting on Facebook because kids will post videos of themselves. Ah. I can watch videos of them at high school rodeos. I call a lot of high school rodeo state secretaries to, to check up on kids. Um, one thing I want good kids in my program. You've, you've met a lot of the kids in my program. Um, I can do a lot more with a good kid than I can do with a little prima donna. Yeah. Uh, that's really talented. Yeah. So I would rather have good kids that are hard workers in my program than some of the most talented kids in the country. Um, might cost me from ever winning a national title. It might not, but the thing is, is, uh, they have to promote themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, and a lot of them don't realize that their Facebook, their Snapchat, all that, that's promoting themselves either in a positive way or a negative way. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of kids that I've, you know, somebody will say, hey, you need to look at this kid. And I'll get on their Facebook and I'll be on there for 30 seconds. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. Don't want yeah. them. Uh, can't have them. You know, we're in a small town. I can't have that type of person in a small town because it will reflect poorly on our program yeah. in a short time. Yeah. Um, but they've got to reach out to us. They've got to let us know they're interested. Um, you know, that's, that's my biggest thing is I want people that want to be in my program. I don't want to have to go and beg somebody to come be in my program and then them get there and not want to be there. And I've done that before. I've, I've been that guy before where I've got somebody, I've went out of my way to recruit somebody that probably didn't fit my program, Mm -hmm. but was, you know, looked good from the outside. And then I get them in my program and like, they're not going to be successful in my program. I want people that know what we're doing, how we're doing it, and can still be successful doing it in our program. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, I want people that are they're coming there to graduate because, mm-hmm. um, one, our funding for our rodeo program is based on graduation rates. So mm-hmm. if, if I'm not graduating people, they're going to cut my funding, they're going to cut my job. And two, uh, it's college rodeo, not rodeo college. Yeah. So you need to be taking advantage of that opportunity. Um, I've had a lot of guys... Like I said, I've had a lot of guys make the NFR and do really well. And I've had some of those guys at 27 years old, their career is over. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't have a college degree, they don't have anything else to fall back on. Yeah. So, you know, that, that four-year span from the time you're 18 to 21 is going to go a lot farther in determining the rest of your life, whether it's in the arena or out of the arena. Uh, you've got to make good choices uh, while you're there at school and hopefully, you know, we can help guide you to make some of those good choices, but we want you to graduate so that 
you know, when your rodeo career is done, you have something to fall back on. I was fortunate. realizing also that it's, it's an industry that there's, there's journalism, there's all kinds of, there's, it's, it's not just one dimensional that you have to be on stage. We talked about it earlier today. Probably one of the single most important lessons I like to try to tell my kids is you've got to be able to finish what you start. Mm -hmm. And when you start college, you should be able to finish college. Mm -hmm. If I'm an employer and I'm looking at at hiring somebody, I want somebody that finished college. If I'm a rodeo coach and I want somebody that says they're going to win a national title, I want somebody that's going to be able to finish what they started and win that national title or at least compete for the national title. I want people that can finish what they start, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's, whether it's a, a class, whether it's a horse, you know, I don't want somebody, they get on a horse, he bucks them off twice. Oh, I'm done. I'm, yeah. He's too rank. I don't yeah. want. Yeah. They got, you got to be able to finish the job you started. And mm-hmm. that to me is is ultra important that, uh, you know, whether it's graduation, whether it's saying you're going to win the region, whether you're going to win the nation, whether you're going to make the NFR, you got to be able to finish that. And you've got to be able to, almost everybody's got the talent to do it. You've got to figure out the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah. no. I I think that's a uh, probably a good spot to to wrap it up. Do you yep. think? And, yeah, uh, I appreciate it, CJ. Yeah. Man, it was a pleasure I meeting talk you guys all day. Man, <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're the same. Like, I I think we uh, we should definitely make a trip out there to the college and yeah, visit yeah you we guys would love and, to do that. Yeah. You know, um, that you know, and just for to share, cheer yeah. together, and see. I love my big deal is I want to grow. Right, yeah. I don't want to stop growing in what my knowledge and what my understanding is. At the same time, is like there's some stuff that I've gotten to learn. I love to share. Well, I was telling Brendan, so when I when I started coaching, I had no formal background in coaching. So mm-hmm. I went back and I got my master's in coaching education from Ohio University, and then I've gone and spent time with Boise State football team. Spent a a, a pretty good amount of time with them, learning about how they run their program, how they recruit, how they build their program, mm-hmm. because. They don't get the top recruits in the country, but they compete every year. Yeah. Um, and then I went and spent a week with the U.S. Olympic wrestling team in Colorado Springs a couple of years ago. When I went up there, I got invited to the the cinch uh, shootout rodeo up there in Colorado Springs. So I went up and spent a week with them, watching how they run their operation. You know, and theirs theirs is a lot different than Boise State football or even our program. Theirs is a lot more about intensity. They yeah. they want yeah. you to be hard for a certain amount of time, and then you know, you turn it on, you go hard for as long as you can, and then you're done. And, but just, you know, different things like that. It's been fascinating to me. I I try to go and I've copied a lot of stuff. Other rodeo coaches do that work well. I've copied stuff from other sports. Uh, I try to, we, we do a lot of stuff outside the box and try to, Try to do as much of that as possible. Yeah, I, I love that. I brought Brendan in a couple of years ago to talk to my guys. Yeah, that was fun going out there. And I think, uh, man, like Todd and I would love to come out and, and yeah. spend some time with you guys and, and uh, like just share any of our stuff with you guys. It's all, it's because I learn a lot from you guys too. Even yeah. just this chat, yeah. I've, I've thought I've heard some great stuff. And you talking about going and visiting other teams reminds me one of the, one thing back in Australia. Uh, the team, and this is funny, funny because it's actually New Zealand, but all the Austra- all the all the all the uh, it's not really Australia. Uh, yeah. Good all the all the uh, yeah, all the coaches that want to be good coaches in Australia, they actually go spend time with the the New Zealand rugby team, which is called the All Blacks, which is this legendary rugby mm-hmm. team. And uh, one of the things that I remember someone telling me about them is these guys are the best of the best. I mean, New Zealand, the depth of talent in New Zealand rugby, they could have four national rugby teams. They're that, there's just so much talent there. It's and, a small country. And it's a small country. They're just, it, everyone's playing this game, right? 
but the All Blacks, they clean their own locker room after the game. So all, all these other professional football teams come in and they take their tape off and whatever, throw towels down, whatever, and they leave and then cleaners come in and the All Blacks clean their own locker room. And it's that discipline mm-hmm. that you the talk about. The funny thing is you said that one of the, I thought it was one of the best compliments our program's gotten all year on the Cowboy Channel this year. Uh, Janie Johnson was talking about Kai. Mm-hmm. And at one of the pro rodeos, it was, I think, uh, somewhere up in Utah, after the rodeo, he won the bull riding, and after the rodeo, he went and picked up all the tape back there. Mm. And I make the guys do that at practice. Yeah. And he still does it at pro rodeos. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, he at the time, he was leading the world. And after everybody else cleared out, he goes and picks up all the tape. Yeah. Cleaned up back there behind. Yeah. But I thought that was kind of carried over to what you said. The, the little things. That's yeah. it. And people and, take notice. Yeah. She, she mentioned it on national television on the Cowboy Channel. Yeah. That, how how impressed she was that after everybody left, he was back there cleaning up. Yeah, and I think, man, that speaks volumes. Hey, if you're the, the best of the best rugby team or the best of the best bull rider and you're still willing to do something so so minute that probably it, if you didn't do it, probably no one would notice because they're not expecting it. But when you do not do it, everyone is amazed. It, it's that 1% thing. And, uh, man, it, it's that's the difference between, I think, being good and being great. Yep. Is those things that no one knows. Keeping a grasp of reality and being humble in some way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's ways to keep that humbleness in what you're yeah. doing. And mm-hmm. it's not by, you know, putting yourself front and center. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well great. Thanks for uh Thank thanks for joining us, CJ. And been, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah that too. was awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to uh to the next time we, we catch yeah. up. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. Awesome. No worries. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to the Go Time Podcast with Todd Martin and Brendan O'Reilly. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Go Time Ranch so you can come work with us each day to learn, have fun, and be inspired. For information on bookings and merchandise, please visit www.gotimeranch.com.